I'd like for you to open to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm starting a little series tonight. I'm going to title it, Have You dot, 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 and a question mark. It's like a question is being asked. We didn't finish the whole question, but have you, and then several things I want to ask you and give you a chance to contemplate, meditate, Check yourself out tonight or during this series because there are some things in the Bible I have found, maybe it's because after all these years of being a Christian, I think I've come to the conclusion, having watched a lot of people drift away, some just fell away, some slowly angled and then just drifted away, and some just seemed to be there, but were never there, and nothing ever happened in their lives. And I think I've come to the conclusion at the outset of this little series I want to start on tonight, that the difference, as I ask myself, what's the difference between those who didn't do that and those who did do that? As I evaluate as best I can, I evaluate myself, as some of you and others, and compare that to people I have known who walked away from it, gave it up, modified it, watered it down, just drifting. While your finger's in those two places, would you look in Colossians chapter 1? There are people who are grounded in the fundamentals. They're not just sermon tasters. They don't go to a church where a really great speaker is really engaging to listen to or entertaining to listen to, but they have gotten some information in their lifetime of going to church that was fundamental, foundational. A, B, C, D. You start somewhere in this Christian life. And if you start where you should start and you get grounded in basic fundamentals in the Christian faith, chances are you'll never get away from it. Because I think God causes our eyes to be open to see things that become meaningful to you. Things that are really necessary and important. Because if my life is ever on shaky ground and I feel like I'm swirling around in the world's way, all I need to remember is as Holy Spirit quickens back to you, this is where you started. Remember this and this and this and this and this. Don't give it up. And you realize I have nothing to go back to. There is nothing that I walked away from how many years ago that deserves me coming back to it because I have been given something that I understand is, and then you go through all the things you've learned. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, talking about Jesus that having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you unblameable, unreprovable, and holy in his sight. Verse 23 says, if. It begins with the word if. Because what was done, theologically done in verse 20, 21, and 22 is what Jesus did for us and the kind of people he did it for. We were wicked and enemies and so forth. If, he said, verse 21, he'll present us the way he wants us to in verse 22, if. If you continue in, notice these words, the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now, surely God in our lifetime has taught us things that we can rely on and stand on. Things that we really are convinced of they're going to happen. The Bible calls that hope. Something you're sure of. And that's what your faith is hooked in. Faith is the substance of things that you're sure of, you hope for. And he says in verse 23, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled. Now, I believe that's why people don't give up. I believe that's why people work through the hard times. I believe that's why Christians overcome the ones that do. I believe it's because of that. They're grounded. 
and they're settled. They know what they believe. They know why they believe it. They don't depend on anybody to believe for them. I know in whom I know what. Look in chapter uh, 2. Colossians 2, verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him like this, rooted and built up in him and established or established in the faith. Established means firmly fixed, settled, stable. Now that's why you make it. This is why nothing throws you off course. This is why whatever the devil tries to dissuade you with or turn you away from God with, this is why he cannot. This is why it doesn't work for you. This is why the devil's tactics against you don't work. It's because you have determined to learn something that is so sure and so strong in your life, you won't give it up for anything. Now, I believe this, and I harp on it all the time. I believe there's too many churches in America, too many religious settings in which the whole purpose of the thing is to make people happy and not inform people about who they are and the way they're supposed to live. I know it's mentioned. It's just not like it's really taught and retaught. Like Peter said once, he said, you know, I know you know this, but I just want to encourage you in what you already know. Because there's a real devil, there's a real awful world out there, there's real things that try to throw you off course and want to ruin your life and mess up everything that's dear to you. It's really, really, really out there. And God wants to give you a weapon. And that's his word. And he wants that word that he gives you to not only be clear to you, you got to want it, you listen to it, you give God a chance to put that word in your heart, chew on it, like Jeremiah, thy words were found, and I did eat them. And you know what? Your words became unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. And then you read Psalm 119 about how the words sustained a Christian his whole life. No matter what happened, he said, thy words were, and because of thy word, and so forth. That's why people who don't fall away don't fall away. That's why people don't give up. It's because of the influence and the impact of what God is saying. Now, let's go then tonight to some fundamentals, and let's start all over again. And don't say, well, we've already heard that again. Let's hear it for the 8,648th time. Amen. I want you to go, first of all, to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the truth. Study to show thyself approved or endeavor, strive at labor at showing yourself to be approved, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the truth. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, Verse 15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope, the thing you hold fast to, of the hope that is in you, and do it with meekness and with fear. Now, obviously, these two verses teach us a number of things. We don't want to go take all my time tonight with that. But we as Christians are told that we should reverence God in our hearts, sanctify. God sanctified us when he saved us. He set us apart. We become his special people. And he does a sanctifying, cleansing, separating work in those separated people. Now, he said, you, you sanctify the Lord in your hearts. This is your life. And you be ready always. Make sure you get yourself in this mode. You be ready always to give an answer to anybody and everybody that asketh you a reason of the hope that you have because you should have it. If you believe what is said, you're looking forward to something. Now, the world doesn't have that. They see you have it. They don't know where you got it because you look like them. You live in the same world they live in. Maybe go to the same church they go to, but you've got something they don't have because they can see it. 
And obviously the message here is the fact that Christians have a mission on this earth. Whoever we are, wherever we are, we have a mission on this earth to bring a message to this world and by the way that we live. We're a city set on a hill. We're a light that shines in dark places. As human beings, ordinary human beings, something has happened to us. It hasn't happened to all church members. A lot of times church members just try to ape and imitate what others do. They learn a routine and they act like everybody else acts and they've never been, number one tonight, they've never been born again. They've never been born again. My first question tonight is, have you been born again? Almost any member of a church will say, well, yeah. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. And by that, they will probably mean I go to church, I'm serious about religious matters, and I try to do my best. Nobody's perfect. You know, I, I do what I can, I do as I can, and I just think that, uh, that that's what it means to be born again. You, you know, you just want to do things spiritual. Well, let me ask you a question again. Have you, my first question, have you been born again? The new birth is a new beginning. It's a new start. The question was asked in the third chapter of John's gospel. I hope you know this well. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And he asked him, he said, we know that you're a teacher come from God. No man can do the miracles that you do except God be with him. And Jesus said, somewhat ignoring the question. Because a lot of people like to be religious and talk about religious things and get into deep discussions. Most of the time, they're way over their head. But Jesus said, verily I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's fundamental, foundational, number one. You must be born again. There's got to be a way you can know that you have been. There's got to be some way that you can have assurance in your heart that you have been. You must, verse 7, you must be born again. Now, this theologian with Jesus he said that doesn't register because he's taking something that's spiritual and thinking of it in the natural sense. The natural was that a child is born from a woman, comes into the world, and begins its life. And he says, how can I again go into my mother's womb and start all over? And Jesus is saying, you know, you should know better than that. You being a teacher of the Jews, you should know better than that. Well, there's at least two or three prominent places in the Old Testament where a new birth is spoken of, not in the words new birth, but a spiritual renewal, a new beginning, a different life than the previous life that you lived begins. You ought to know that. It's like Jesus was saying, I'm not talking about a natural birth. I'm not talking about church membership, church attendance, going on a missionary. I'm not talking about anything you designed to do. I'm talking about have you been born again? And that's what John 3 was talking about there in the beginning. Why do we need to be born again? And you should know this. Again, these are foundational truths. These are things you get settled in. You get born again because, first of all, you're a sinner. Now, you have to know you're a sinner because a lot of people don't think they're that bad. You know, I'm not as bad as a lot of people. I, it's not how you compare yourself with other people is that a sin is a sin. It only takes one to doom you to judgment. Only one. Just one sin. And so... The reality is that all we like sheep have gone astray. There's none of us that are righteous. Nobody's good enough. Nobody deserves anything. The new birth cannot be earned. It cannot be found somewhere by effort. You cannot clean up your life good enough and then experience it. It is entirely something beyond anything human or ordinary. The new birth is not an ordinary experience, and yet to most members of the church 
who really don't know what the new birth is. It's just nothing more than doing Christian things. Because don't all politicians, it seems, don't all prominent people seem to be able to say, yeah, I'm born again Christian? And people you want to admire or respect, if they say Jesus something, we like to refer to them as, oh, they're born again Christians. Well, I suspect, and I don't want to make this harder than it actually is, but I sure don't want to leave anything out. Because I suspect that a whole lot of people are just religious they just learned spiritual routines. They joined the church at age 10 or 12 like I did. And because you joined the church, you were baptized in water. That's what you did. Didn't matter what you knew, just what you did. And when you did that, you took your seat. When the communion tray came by in a Christian church, you could take communion if you'd been baptized. It didn't really mean anything to me. I grew up like that. I had all the religious experiences, went to Sunday school class, sang in the choir, taught a Sunday school class. But I was, in my heart, I was as lost as I could be. I knew that. I didn't know how to verbalize that, but I knew that I wasn't right with God. Had that uneasy feeling that many adults get, and youngsters too, that uneasy feeling that if Jesus came tonight, you wouldn't go. Because you know how you live, you know how you talk, you know what you're doing with your life, you know what you're thinking, and you know, you know, you know. Nobody else knows it except you and, of course, the Lord. And those very things would term you to be unfit for God's presence because that's what all sinners have to experience, that we're not fit for his presence. We have never turned away from our sins. In Luke 13, Jesus said twice. He said, except you repent, you shall all perish. And repent means that you, being made aware of something that is not right, you turn around and you turn away from it and begin to walk away from it and you don't go back to it. Repentance is a turning. It's a change. I'm not here to prove this with anybody. I'm just saying that after 40 plus years... I'm concluding that by the choices that a lot of Christians make and the way they choose to live their life and things that they do, and I know that nobody's perfect, but there's something wrong with the way a lot of Christians are trying to live. It's not working for them. They're not getting it done. They're up and they're down. We used to call them yo-yo Christians. They're just not doing right. And yet the Bible teaches us that we transgress as soon as we're born. Isaiah 48 said, you know, as soon as we're born, we go astray from the womb. Psalms 58. Psalms 51 talks about him. Sin did my mother conceive me. You know, it's just something about sin. Sin is the indifference to God, what is of God. Most people in this life are all about themselves, me and my way, what best serves me, what I get the most pleasure from, has no interest in God. Even Proverbs talks about, apparently a farmer, a farmer out there plowing his field, is while he's plowing, he's sinning. Because he has no regard for who makes his crops grow, who brings him the rain and the weather, who gives him the health to do what he's doing? He has no regard for any of that. Everything he does is for himself. As we've said before, that's what transgressor often means in the Bible, lawlessness. Not interested in God or his way other than to mention him for my own benefit. And the fact of it is, you've never been born again. There's never been that time in, in your life that you were born again. Now, you've joined church, but we're not talking about church membership. You're active in the community, and you've got a lot of friends, but we're not talking about social goodness. You go to the Bible studies, and you're involved in the learning and the little sessions you have with others and studying the Bible, but we're not talking about Bible studies. We're talking about something that comes from God something that only God can do. If you don't hunger for it, if you're not aware of it, it never happens. In my testimony, which all of you have heard and probably bored with by now, I was 28 years old. 
I'd had stirrings in my life since I was a kid. Seems like I was always aware there was something way beyond where I was, but I had become convinced that I was probably too bad and so far unworthy of what God is about that I would never be a part of that. All through high school, college, started teaching school back in my hometown when it all happened. I guess I grew up, began to think responsible for the first time in my life. Began to realize as the preacher was preaching that I don't have that. The preacher would talk about hell and it frightened me because I knew that's where I was going. And yet, strangely, I knew that what I was in couldn't change it. There was nothing I was doing that could keep me from going to hell. There was no pleading of my heart, no effort that I could make that would keep that from happening. I had a lot of friends. I was liked and doing okay and tried hard to do like, but it just didn't work. Would you turn to John 3, where I just were a while ago? You see, I'd never been born again. Jesus brings that subject up. He says, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. And he says it again in verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Now think of this. There's a natural birth. We mentioned that. There's a spiritual birth. There is something that is entirely natural. Any lost heathen, any lost man, any lost woman can make a baby and bring a baby into the world. Happens all the time. But there's no man ever who by anything he does can reborn himself. He cannot change his nature. He cannot change the spiritual part of him that the Bible says is dead in trespasses and sins. He is totally incapable of making himself alive unto God. He may have a lot of commendations from all of his church folks about how good he is and how nice and kind and tender this man is or this woman is, but not even that can make you born again. People would say you are because they don't know what it means themselves. But he said, you must be born again. Now, Ezekiel, we're going to come back to this in a minute. So turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36 I know you've been here before because it seemed like I talk about this a lot. It hadn't been too many months ago or maybe a couple years ago that I began thinking, what if Jesus comes? What if Jesus comes like a thief in the night suddenly? And what if the church that I pastor, what if a number of people miss it? What if you didn't make it? I mean, Jesus came just like we sing about, just like we talk about. Just like you hear it all the time. Yeah, we hear that all the time. And then he comes, and you're still here. You didn't go. He didn't take you. And he didn't take you because you were never made his. Is that possible? Because you can't be made his. He has to make you his. And you're not his because you come, are you? My daddy wasn't his because he went through confirmation as a little Catholic boy and beat on his chest all of his life. That didn't make him born again. That was good enough for the Catholics, but wasn't good enough for God. When my childhood friends would die some way, we'd go to the funeral brokenhearted and terrified at how they died, whether they drowned or in a car wreck. And though you ran around with them and you knew them, by the time the preacher got through with them, they were all in heaven. God loved them. He took them to heaven. And you know how they lived? And I think a lot of people thought, well, if God loves everybody, God can do nothing greater than love you, can he? And if he loves you, he's not going to let you perish. So if he loved me, you keep telling me he loves me, well, I'm going to heaven. A loving God isn't going to turn his back on what he loves. And yet I can't earn his love. I can't deserve his love. We can get in pretty deep right here. We can get over our heads. Because God loves as an act of his will. 
just like you love as an act of your will. There are things you choose to love and things you choose not to love, like Brussels sprouts. <laughs> and God can choose whatsoever he pleases. And no man can tell him what to choose, what not to choose. No man can tell God who to love and who not to love. And there's nothing you can do to merit God's love. Because if truth be known to those whom God calls his elect, you didn't know this, but from the foundation of the world, he had singled you out for salvation. And he loves you in that way because there's a day came that he unloaded on you that work of his Holy Spirit. And he turns your life around. You were born again. Here's how it works. Chapter 36 and verse 25. God said, then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. Now remember that. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness, from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. There is no other way this can happen. It has to happen just like this. It begins with a thing called conviction. You become aware that you're not right with God, just as I did and just as all of you that are saved did. This uneasy feeling that all that's out there that we hear about doesn't belong to me. I know my life too well, and I know that I disqualify myself in a lot of things because I'm not trying to do it the way God wants me to do it. I'm really here hoping this all works in the end, that I'll be good enough to make it. And yet, that's futile and vain. But when a man gets convicted, conviction is a work of God's Spirit. God sends his Spirit to convict in John 16 to convict us of sins. Make you feel bad about what you said, about what you did, where you went, and why you went. To lean on you pretty hard about what you're doing with your life, making you real uncomfortable. And you've learned that alcohol and drugs don't make it go away. It just gets worse. And you try to make excuses why you don't want to go to church because this thing is, is tearing you up. You're being made aware of the fact that you're not right with God. You're not right. I know I'm not right. Nobody has to tell me I'm wrong. The preacher tells me I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. And then there's that wonderful work that only God can do. What did he say in John again, chapter 3? He says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell where it came from and where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God begins to move amongst these stirred up, convicted, uneasy people. Person, I was. And you begin to feel bad about what you said on the Facebook, what you watched on the Internet, the people you run around with, the kind of language that they use. You know that's violating everything you've heard. You know that. That crazy movie you want to watch and all the scenes in there that aren't good. I mean, you know that's wrong. You know it's not right. And you know you did it anyway. And there's something in your heart that's nothing but dirt. It's just living dirt. Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You don't deserve to be convicted because a dead man has no rights to anything. And yet God, in gracious love, leans in your direction, begins to make you aware of your sins. Why? He wants to bring you to repentance. Repentance is a gift. God gives repentance. 
You cannot be sorry for your sins except wish you hadn't have done it and you'll do it again. But if you repent from your sins, you turn away from your sins. So God begins to stir you up, make you aware of the fact that you're a sinner. I'm a church member sinner. I have never had a renewed beginning in life. And if Jesus came right now, I would be disqualified. And what a fool I must therefore be to know I'm lost and do nothing about it and give up all of eternity and forever for these last few brief moments on this earth. How much of a fool are you? How controlled by our feelings and passions we really are. You got to let go of it. But sin doesn't give up. Doesn't the Bible say that sin lieth at the door and its desire is for you? That sin lurks about like a roaring lion seeking whom it can devour? Paul speaks about sin working in you. Sin does a work in you to continue corrupting you, continue to make you less than everything God wants. And then when you go to church, you keep feeling worse about yourself. You'll either respond to God or you'll quit. You'll walk away. But when you don't walk away and God puts that hook in your jaw and brings you to him, then you begin to, what's the word for godly sorrow in 2 Corinthians 7? God makes us sorry for our sins, a broken heart. David spoke in Psalm 51 of a broken spirit, a contrite, a humble heart. He bowed his head before God and restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. If God does these wonderful, gracious, heartbreaking things, that one divine and holy moment in your life in which you're brought to the realization of your sinfulness, and then God opens to you hope. If you will repent of your sins, if you will hate what you've done, loathe yourself because of it, and turn your back on it and make a decision to walk in newness of life, you'll never be controlled by that stuff ever again. Because you can be, as he said, as he said back here a moment ago, he said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. That's the new birth a new heart, and a new spirit. It only comes from God. Nicodemus, you mean you're a teacher of the Jews and you don't understand this? Turn to Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Look at that. Titus 3 and 5. This is how it happens. This is how the new birth happens. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Been talking about it. Church membership, goodness, looked up to, admired by others because of your goodness. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. How did he save us? You know, I told you a while ago when you read Ezekiel 36, verse 25, to remember that about, I will cleanse you and sprinkle clean water on you. Remember that? All right. He said, now listen. Not by what you've done or how hard you tried to do it did God save you. That's not why God saved you. But he saved you because of his mercy. Mercy and grace are cousins that you want with you all the time. God being merciful to you. That's where the relief comes. God pities you. God bends down to where you are and gives you something that you could not otherwise have. And he said, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, hath he saved us, but by his mercy. And then he explains it. By the washing, in verse 5 again, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now, what would you say? I know you're, we're not here to study this in particular, but how would you understand? Because you're going to have to tell somebody about this. you got a mission on this earth to be ready always. Don't we have that? Then what is the washing of regeneration? 
These are spiritual terms. I don't try to think of a cup of water and something else. What does it mean when the Bible talks about God expressed his mercy to us by the washing of regeneration? Regeneration means making new. It comes from two words, which means again to begin, a new beginning, the new birth. How does it happen? Well, it's like a cleansing, isn't it? There was sinfulness, which is like filth, uncleanness in your life, dirt. And God cleansed you of that. How's he cleanse his church in Ephesians chapter 5? You remember what it says in Ephesians 5, how God will sanctify and cleanse his church with the washing of water by his word? Would you agree with me then that one of the pictures of the word in the Bible is that it comes as a cleansing agent, and if you receive it, it does its work? It cleanses you. It takes away the old that was in disapproval with God, and it brings forth that which God approves of. Only the word can do that. And so this washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, you know, the renewing of the Holy Ghost, we'll get to that in a couple studies. But the Holy Spirit is assigned the task on this earth of convicting of sin, leading you to the realization of, of who Christ is and what he's done for you. We read that in Colossians 1 of how much he loved you and how much he cared for you. He wants to reconcile you to him. He shows you that. He makes that clear to you. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And when you're born again, it's that's 1 Corinthians 12. You're born in again into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. He places you into Christ. In him, in Christ, we live and move and have our being. It's all in Jesus Christ. It's the work of the Spirit to lead us to him, to see him, to believe in him, to bow to him and to serve him. That's his work. That's what he does. Those leadings that we have, they come from the Spirit. So he says... Not by works of righteousness, which you have done, has he saved you, but by his spirit. By his spirit. And this washing of regeneration, this renewing work that God gives us with his word and the way that he does that. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. While you're in 1 Peter 1, I'm going to turn to John 1. You stay where you were, where you're going. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 1 and verse 12. He said, but as many as received him, to them, God gave the authority to be the children of God, to be the children, as many as as received him, which were born, he said, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That's John 1 and verse 13. Now, concerning the word, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, which is what? In this way, you are born again. You're not born again because it was a good idea. Listen, you're not born again because you're 12 years old. You're not born again because... I don't know. I should, you know, I need to join church or something. You're born again because of the effect the Word of God has on your miserable life. When God amplifies and magnifies what the Bible says to your heart, and you begin to realize that what the Bible says is true, cannot be anything but true, and you're not like that. You're not there. You have an opinion about it, but you're not there. And he says, not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible seed by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. There's power in the word. Power of life is in the word. You receive the word, you receive life. You receive the word, you receive the Lord who was made flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I can't tell you how much of a premium God puts on his word. I know in Psalm 138 and verse 2 that he honors his word even above his name. 
And there's some powerful things in Scripture about how God feels about his name. But he honors his word even above his name. And it's a shame. It's a shame, folks. It is a cry and shame that so many religious people have an opportunity to hear more than they know and don't want to hear it. Just don't want to hear it. They could. They just don't want it. They could advance themselves in the knowledge of God. Not interested. Listen to me. And if I'm talking about somebody that's not here that gets upset with it, then live with it. Because there's something wrong in the heart, in the human heart. This is what God changes. This is where you change. Your head doesn't change. That's a process. This new spirit is instantaneous. God puts a new spirit in you, bang. Your mind is renewed over a period of time. There's a war between the way you were trained to live in this world and this new way of living that God wants you to do. His choices are not always the popular choices, and we balk at it. But it's a test of where your heart is. Who rules your life? Are you ruled by your old ways or are you ruled by what's in your heart? It's all up to you because this is where you're going to be tested. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. The Bible says in James 1.18, of his own will, he begat us through the word of truth. Didn't he say in Romans, the book of Romans, how can men be saved unless they hear the word? And how can they hear the word unless somebody is sent? That God uses people? Somebody's going to get this. Somebody in all of Christendom in this hour on this earth, somebody professing the truth, somebody is going to get it. And it's going to be the joy and the rejoicing, the focus of their life. And it's going to be compelling for them not only to live this life and be ready always to give an answer to everybody. Say, what are you so joyful? Somebody's going to ask you. But somebody's going to gather up all of this word as much as they can so that they can sit down and be ready always to give an answer to every man. To study and show yourself approved unto God, not a church hearer or a hearer of the word or a, a go to church and listen, but those who are approved, who have taken the word, made it personal, see their mission in life to carry this precious seed to wherever they go because this is what God uses to save people. God saves people who believe his word. He gives them the faith. He gives them the repentance. He gives them the conviction. Everything it takes to save a man, God gives it. And man cannot do any of that on his own. I used to think when I was growing up as a boy, high school, college, the crazy years of your life, mine, some bad years. When it came to church, I'd go to church every Sunday at Moorhead, where I went to college. I'd go to church every Sunday because I was trained to, and, and deep in my heart there was this fear that I might die. And if I died, it's not going to be good. Maybe I can convince God that I'm not that bad. I'd go to church every Sunday. My mother sent me $10 a week. That was my living expenses. And, you know, it didn't take a lot then. Coke was a dime. And uh, gas was 17, 18, 20 cents a gallon. That's not bad. Those were the days. Anyway, I would go through all that. I'd put a dollar in that pan every week. And that was a precious dollar to me. I put a dollar in that bucket and I would listen sometimes and I would hear even that preacher, he could drone on and on. Ever so often he would say something that would pierce my wicked heart. I couldn't get away from it. I couldn't escape it. It was there all the time. I just couldn't get away from it. Until June 30th, 1968. Undeservingly. And that weekend and just a couple of weeks prior to that, it all came back. You're going to hell. You're lost. You're not saved. 
You're trying to teach a Sunday school class. You're trying to coach school out there, being a, a good social figure in the community of a, of a nice boy. You know, everybody tells you he's such a nice boy. <laughs> she knew better than that too. But anyway, all these things, and yet I knew that I was lost. And it was on that one, to me, the most precious moment in my life ever yet. Not when I was born, but when I was born again. On June the 30th, 1968, it was a moment at which something happened like the wind blows. You don't know where it came from. And you don't know where it went. But something that morning happened to me that has never needed to happen again. It completely changed the course of my life, and it was in a moment. When I went forward and knelt on this side of the church right there, right over that, whatever the thing was on the floor, I used to call it a floor furnace, but I think it was return air duct. And Bob Morgan was right in front of me. He didn't need to be there. But anyway, I was behind him, crying, all those years of all those ornery things that seemed to have just left and were coming out, that God, a merciful and gracious God, on that morning, five minutes to 12, forgave me of all my sins. They all left. The devil's tried to tell me ever since. I wasn't good enough. It really didn't happen. You just made it up. It's just an emotional moment. But I have never gone back. I've seen hundreds go back. Many that morning who went with me to the front of the church, the church was full of people that morning who came forward. Not even a handful stayed with it. Of all those kids that out there in the high school, we all had these Bible meetings before school and witnessing and, and busy all day long with spiritual things. And at night have Bible studies, these kids to keep them going. And yet, and about a year later, I can think of maybe five or six of those kids are left this many years later. All those other 100 plus, maybe five or six are left. Why did some leave and those few stay? I know it's because of what God does. But they heard the same thing, lived in the same town, ate the same food, went to the same church, had the same friends. And some survived and some didn't. I remember taking some with me to other churches. And I'd say, that here's a young man that he's going to share his life with you for a few minutes. And this man, I can test, and he'd share his life. And boy, people would cry. And you know what? Within just a few months, he was back in the world, drinking and drag racing like he used to. I almost came to the conclusion, I'm not going to believe anybody's story anymore. I'm going to believe mine. I know what happened to me. But I did, and I kept believing it, what everybody said. But the new birth is when God does something from heaven, something from above. Man's incapable of doing anything about it. It comes down, and it changes his life. And the reason that this is possible is in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a living hope. By what? Because you know this. If God had never raised Jesus, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we're talking about nothing tonight. Nothing here is substantial tonight if Jesus is not still alive. If he's alive tonight, then the most real thing in the world is what he has demanded and what he promises and who he is. While you cannot see him, you are left to the story about him, and all you've got is your faith in what you've heard. You can't prove anything. You can't make it real by any effort. We have to humble ourselves to something we've heard, and yet something that comes in a wonderful and yet mysterious way in our hearts. Something in my heart we sing like a stream running free makes me feel so happy as happy as can be when I think of Jesus and what he's done for me. That's why we don't quit. Oh, things are not going good. They're broken jobs and money and an illness or something. And why don't you throw in? Because when I remember 
from whence I came, I do not want to go back. Because I know in whom I have believed. And I am unwilling to give it up. That's why some of you are getting stronger and staying put. And why a lot of others, this is an option. It's a good thing to do. It's a socially proper thing to do. But it's not your life. It became our life because God raised Jesus from the dead. He's alive, folks. Everything he said is true. Everything he said will come to pass is going to come to pass, just like he said. The world doesn't believe it. The world's full of anti-Christ ideas. Our country is. But it doesn't matter. Like a thief in the knife, unawares. Like a snare is going to come. And the people who will escape that are those who have been born again and have stayed that way. Let me tell you something. This is how you know if you've been born again. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. How can I know? How can we tell if we've been born again? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, how do you get in Christ? Well, I mowed the grass and painted the walls of the church. No. How do you get in Christ? It's the work of who? The Spirit. Why? Because you repented. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, what is he? He's a new creature or a new creation. He's something he never has been before. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. Now, you're born again. You've got the same face you were lost with. You got it when you got saved. You can get a new one of them. Oh, man. And you got the same body. You got the same brain. Nothing looks any different about you when you're born again than when you weren't born again. You, I mean, you're the same person you always were as far as what everybody can see. But the change is on the inside. You're a new creature in Christ. We can't tell yet that you are because anybody can act like this for a while. Old things have passed away, and anybody for a while can stop doing some of the old things, but the Bible says they pass away. They don't just stop for a while. They pass away. The old, rotten, nasty, ugly, vulgar, unclean things you used to do, you quit doing. You won't go there anymore. Your friends are no longer people that do that either. I remember those days. I knew I couldn't hang around my old crowd, and live a new way. I knew that. And so I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to lose all my friends. And yet I gained a bunch of good friends. But anyway, he said, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. One translation says, the old state of things has passed away. All that drinking, carousing, movie watching of stuff, all that lazy lifestyle you had, Indifference, cursing, stealing, lying, cheating, it leaves you, goes away. If it doesn't go away, you haven't been born again. Amen. Because he said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. If he's a new creature, old things have passed away. If old things have passed away, then all things are become new. Romans 6, 4, talking about water baptism. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, even so, even so, even so, are you there? I can't keep saying even so because we have to quit sometime. Even so, we should also walk how? Let me ask you all a question. I ask you to... At the beginning, have you been born again? Do you live differently now than you used to live? Is everything new now? Not easier. Nothing's easy. I didn't say, is it easier? I said, is it different? Are you making the right choices when you're put to the test? Do you give the right answer when there's an opportunity here to maybe not tell it the way it is and get an advantage? Do you tell the truth anyway? You're, you're putting put to the test. You're going to, God's going to find out where your heart is. That means you're going to be offered things to get, get you out of this word, whatever the devil can. He's going to do it. 
Your desire to live the old way is gone, and you grieve at your weaknesses. Every now and then, you slip, you fall. A righteous man has fallen, not supposed to. But occasionally, I mean, you fail, you lost your temper, you call somebody dumb or worse. Or you said things about people you shouldn't see, or you broadcast unsavory information that a Christian shouldn't. And then you got convicted, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. You think, oh, God. You didn't try to justify it. You didn't start your sentence with, now I know we're not supposed to talk about this, but I'm going to tell you something. You don't do that. You suppress all that, because that's the old way. All things become new. You got to work at it. You got to work at this because this new man in Christ is living differently than he used to. He's changing. If he's not changing, he is, he's not born again. Romans 12. Turn those five pages over to Romans chapter 12 and, and look for the 8,000th time at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you can prove what the right thing is in life, what the will of God is. Be not like the world, but be transformed. Don't be a schematic to this world, but be a metamorphosis. Metamorpho, it's to be changed into a different person. Your mind, again, as I said a while ago, your mind will oppose most of what you hear from God. How could that be? I've never seen that. Well, who's ever heard such a thing? Well, the world think I'm crazy. I mean, you're going to hear that your whole life. You're either going to deal with it and fight the good fight of faith, or you're going to contend for the faith, or you're going to cave into that and join the majority. But you'll be put to the test, and you'll find out. A born-again person will overcome. Amen. 2 Corinthians 3. In harmony with Romans chapter 2, 2 Corinthians 3 says, We all with unveiled face, last verse, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We all, there's no hindrance to how God is showing us things. It's not veiled. We all with unveiled face beholding like we would behold ourselves in a mirror. You know what? A mirror never lies. Man, it's not complimentary at all. And it doesn't lie. But you see the truth, the reality of what is true in a mirror. And we all as Christians, beholding as in a mirror, this glory of the Lord, starting with mercy and with grace, thy loving kindness, another word for mercy, and the gentleness and the goodness of God that leads you to repentance and the godly sorrow that accompanies how he brings you to him and opens you up to see who he is. This is the glory. He says, as we behold such a thing in the Lord, we are being transformed. It's just our word transform here. We're being changed. We're being changed into the same image that we see. If God is good and gentle, are we not to be good and gentle? If God is kind and long-suffering, are we not to be kind and long-suffering? If God is honest and full of integrity, should we not also be honest and full of integrity? We've been bought with a price. The life that guides us now as a newborn Christian is his spirit. And he said, I will cause you to walk in my ways. Well, we're looking to see what those ways are. And we can ask ourselves a question. Are we avoiding this or are we doing it? We're either born again or we're not. We're either born again or we're very religious people. But if you're born again, you are compelled. Something on the inside draws you to Christ and compels you to live on his terms. That's the work of God. That's the power of that spirit inside of you. It's never an option. It's the work of God on the inside of a man. He even goes so far to say this one's hard. He said, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Man, we got an overcomer here. That's 1 John 5, 18. We know that whosoever is born of God keepeth himself, 
and that wicked one touches him not. Now, I think when the Bible says, to be quite honest, we know whosoever is born of God sinneth not. There's also a verse in 1 John, same book, that says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus' faith. So it's not saying that you're sinless or that you have reached sinless perfection because you're born again. That's not true. The power that is to govern you cannot sin. The life that should be in control, we call it lordship. The power that is in control of your life and is supposed to be, cannot, is incapable of sin. You only sin when you do something besides what he wants. He that knoweth to do good but doesn't do it. So you see, you still have your will. And you won't do it to you, it's sin. So what are we going to do about our sin? First John 1, 9, we repent. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But your attitude is this. He that is begotten, he that is born of God or begotten of God sinneth not. You do not go about life thinking, well, I can always repent because you probably can't. Anybody can say, I'm sorry. Not everybody is sorry. So this is not an easy way. It's somewhat a narrow way. But if you're born again, another verse in 1 John says you learn to love people. He that is born of God, everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. When you love, you forgive. When you love your brother, you protect them. When you love your brother, you show mercy and kindness to them. When you love somebody like God loves, you esteem them as better than yourself. You put them before yourself. There's a tenderness in your heart that the way you treat others is the way you're showing God you want him to treat you. You do unto others as you would have God do unto you. Love is compelling that way, and that's what one of those things when God says, I will cause you to walk in all my ways, this is one of the things that he's talking about. Now, in closing, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 29. This is how you live. We can measure you by this one verse. If you know that he is righteous, then you know that everyone that does righteousness is born of him. You can translate that. If I ask you, explain that to me. Tell me what that means. Your neighbor across the street, that person you were talking to in a beauty salon, what does that mean? You can tell them. It's this, when you're born again, your life so changes that your whole desire now is to do what's right as God identifies right. When God said, this is the way, walk in it, that's the right way. This is the righteousness that God requires. In fact, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his right ways. His right attitudes is righteousness. Put that first and foremost in your life. And seek after that. Because if you are born again, this is one of the ways that you know. You do what is right. You love. You keep yourself. You don't sin. You quit all that sinning and stuff. And you begin to change. You begin to be changed into a different kind of a person. This is how we know you're born again. You don't argue and fuss with the demands of God. You don't complain about, well, you don't do that because you don't even belong to yourself anymore. Somebody's got to teach us that we've been bought with a price. Our life is not our own, 1 Corinthians 6. We belong to him. He has a right to do whatever he wants us to do. We're nothing more than his will on this earth. And he picked you. He picked you to pour himself into to so motivate you and determine your life that you are doing exactly what he wants. And you know what he says to you when this life is over? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And you weren't capable of doing anything except agreeing with God. And yet when he does his work in you, not only are we still unprofitable servants, but he gives you a reward. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord that have been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
You know what? If you've never been born again, you need to pray and cry out to God and ask him to put into your heart everything necessary to legitimately be his child. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless your word to your people. I pray you bring us this whole church with nobody left out that everybody who claims a place here will be born again. In Jesus' name, amen.